He's got a beautiful backswing. Dad, oh, he got all of that one. Oh my gosh. That is amazing. Lay up with an iron into the hazard. Well, that wasn't quite what I meant, you know. Hello and welcome to another edition of the 73rd Hole, the official podcast and award-winning podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Today, I will be here with T-Dub, and then T-Dub is working double time. He will be with Colby Powell. We weren't all able to meet up at the same times, so T-Dub's going to do a preview with me and then a preview with Colby Powell, and it's all going to work out and be a little kumbaya today, and we will try to get this out by Thursday for y'all, hopefully in the morning time. Okay, so T-Dub, big news. I heard that there is a rumor going around on some forums that Anthony Kim could possibly go to the Saudi Super League. I mean, how how cool is that, Sam? I mean, because, you know, the way I look at it is you see all these things happen on forums. You know, whenever you follow college football, NFL, any other sport or whatever, the the forum pages blow up when there's a a kind of infamous trade deadlines approaching for the NBA. So you got all kinds of forums going crazy there. So, the main thing I want to know, Sam, is, is is this just speculation? Is this just us crazy Anthony Kim fans wanting this to happen? Or do you think there's actually some validity to that? Now, let me ask you this, T-Dub. I really don't know. I haven't done enough research on it. I just saw the headline and saw that Anthony Kim, there's just rumors swirling around. Now, let me ask you this. Is, is his exemption or whatever, the insurance exemption up? after a certain amount of time, or is it because he wouldn't be going back to the PGA Tour? How is he able to play again and still get that insurance money from the thumb injury? You know, that's a good question. I I, I thought that it would have just been a PGA Tour thing, but, you know, looking back on it, if that was the case, why wouldn't he just play the uh, European Tour or exactly. the DP World Tour? Yeah, um, maybe so he was maybe- able to and just decided not to. Well, and, you know, the thing is, is that with the amount of money that the Saudi Golf League would pay him, all he'd have to do is just pay back whatever that insurance was, and it would be – he'd make way more money anyway. So I don't, I don't really think that that would necessarily be that big of an issue. I just think it's a matter of he wants to do it. And, um, you know, I, I was, you know, kind of in our group text the other day, I was saying this. It's like if you just take – if you don't take, like ca- like, casual fans, like the people who don't watch golf, and you just take actual golf fans, Anthony Kim has about as big a following as John Daly does. He, people don't realize how popular he is. Especially in this state. You know, there's legends. There's legends no doubt of about Anthony that. Kim, whether it be on the course or off the course, right? Yeah, and, and you know what? That, that's a good point you make because, uh, especially around here, some of the off-the-course stories definitely make the headlines very John Daly-esque in some aspects. Well, speaking of the Sooners... Uh, the Ben Hogan Award watch list came out, and we have a couple Sooners and a trio of pokes. We got Chris Goddard from the Sooners and Logan McAllister from Oklahoma. And then as far as OSU goes, Eugenio lopez Chicara, Brian Stark, and Bo Jin are on the Ben Hogan Award watch list. And uh, if you didn't know, there have been 
many, many, many major championship winners on that Ben Hogan Award watch list. And to have five guys from the state of Oklahoma playing college golf in our state on that watch list, that's big time. Oh, there's no, I mean, absolutely no doubt about it. Just listen off some guys that have won it. This isn't an order or anything, but it's obviously off some headliners. Hovland won it back in 2019. Uh, your boy Doug Gimson won in 2018. How about that? Uh, Maverick Neely, John Rom was back-to-back winner. Got a Patrick Rogers, who is one of the best amateur golfers of all time. Patrick Cantlay, Peter Uline, uh, Kyle Stanley, Ricky Fowler, uh, Ryan Moore, another greatest amateur of all time. Ricky Barnes, Hunter Mayhan were actually, I'm looking through here, they were coach uh, co-winners one year. That's pretty interesting. Um, but one thing that's really cool about this, Sam, is the, the winner of the award gets invited to the uh, to the Colonial, or the Crown Plaza Invitation, I guess is what it's called now. So I think that's... Obviously, the accolade is going to carry longer on, but for definitely the short term, getting in that tournament is by far the uh, the best thing these kids can look forward to. Yeah, some other notables, Ludwig Aberg, a guy that we talked about a lot from the Big 12s last year at Prairie Dunes from Texas Tech. Great player, I think maybe the most talent in the country in college golf. Uh, Sam Bennett from Texas A&M. Michael Brennan uh, from Wake Forest, and we could go on down the list. But to have five guys from the state of Oklahoma, that's big time uh, for our state and golf. Okay, T-Dub, we have the biggest party in golf for sure and maybe the biggest party in sports going on this week at the Waste Management Open, not to mention the huge field. But first, what I want to know from you, T-Dub, do you love the Waste Management Open or do you think it's kind of, you know, a mockery Mickey Mouse golf on 16? What do you think and – do you love it? I, I I feel like you do. Oh, oh, there's no doubt about it, Sam. I, I absolutely love it. I I think that maybe probably my only qualm about it now is that you know you get up there in the the kind of stadium s that they have now, and you, there's a lot of kind of corporate villas up there, from my understanding. Mm-hmm. So there's not as quite as much rowdiness as there as there used to be. And you know, one of my favorite memories, uh, especially Tiger memories, going back to uh, 1997 when Tiger uh, made a hole-in-one there, and you could see the, the beer cans, the water bottles, towels getting thrown around. Tiger raises the roof. One of my favorite highlights I, I remember of all time. So that would probably be my only qualm about it. I think it was, uh, you know, and you get the drunk college kids out there, which makes it which makes it really fun, too. And it's like like, I've, uh, like we were talking about, too. It's one of the – it is the by far the highest attended tournament of on the PGA Tour, which, I mean, there's a reason that the attendance keeps growing and not shrinking, even when it's on – Super Bowl weekend. So I absolutely love it, Sam. It's not necessarily the stadium hole isn't something I'd like to see at like Augusta, like number 16 or anything like that. But um, I do think that there are some other courses. I probably have to think about where, but I do really, I do think there are some other places where they should implement stuff like that. See, I love it for one week a year. Obviously, you don't want this for a major championship, but it fits Scottsdale perfectly to me. I, and I love the fact that they say that there's 16,000 in that amphitheater right around 16, but I think there's closer to 20 or 22,000 people that pack in there. And I heard an interesting story from a guy that was uh, high up in waste management, and uh, and he said that it would be easier to get someone into the Super Bowl this week than it is to get someone into the 16th hole. Oh, I mean, it's, that's just unbelievable. And that shows how much popularity there is, which goes back to your point there, Sam, where especially for the waste management, they want this to be a once-a-year thing because they can use it as a complete great marketing thing. I mean, hey, come here and have some fun. We're the only place that does this all year. And it works out for them. 
you know, thinking about some other courses where I think it would actually be um, somewhat suitable, I think it'd be really cool on like a drivable par four. Because if someone hits a really good shot, then you just have all those people around there and they, they yell super loud and kind of send waves across the course. Something that we obviously didn't have back in COVID when we didn't have fans there. So, you know, just kind of spitballing. But, you know, let's put it this way. I'd rather it be at at one course a year and instead of not at any course a year, if that makes sense. Yeah, the thing about it, though, is you do have a great drivable par four. If you don't get into the 16th hole and you are out at the waste management, you can go watch 17 and probably have a way easier crowd to deal with than 16. Uh I think it's kind of like the all-star weekend of golf. Golf doesn't have an all-star weekend. I think it's kind of a celebration of just let's have fun. Fans drink beers. Players are having fun on 16. But it's kind of a weird dynamic once you actually get into the competitive aspect of coming down the stretch late on Sunday and you got some – they're ruffling your feathers a little bit as you're over the ball on 16 and you're trying to get it in the house. You know, it, it, I, I love watching it, but do I want to watch it every week? Not necessarily, but is it growing the game? Absolutely. And anything we can do to make the game more fun and more attractive to the common golfer, the common not golfer, really is, I, I'm definitely in favor of it. Oh, there, there's absolutely zero doubt about that, Sam. Are you are you in favor of them booing when you miss the green? Absolutely. It, if you're going to have a stadium, you can boo, you can clap, you can cheer, you can chug beers. I love it. If if you're going to allow that, you got to allow everything. You know, it can't just be the golf stadium. It has to be a stadium, and it has to be fun. And I think that they've done everything possible to make that place fun. I know that they had some, you know, celebrities out there hitting shots at nighttime last night. I know we, we had one of the bachelors, I think, shank one into a cameraman last night. Uh, I saw that. How funny is that? <laughs> I mean, could you imagine, imagine being that cameraman uh, sitting there? It, it was kind of a ballsy play. He shouldn't have been standing there, as Happy Gilmore said. Sam, I got a question for you. You know, we, we've seen we've seen the players. They they bring football jerseys. They bring all kinds of souvenirs to throw the fans. Let's just say you get in the waste management open someday. What are you going to do when you get on the 16th hole? I mean, I have to wear a Russell Westbrook Thunder jersey, right? <laughs> well, you might be you might not want to wear a Lakers one because he might get traded in a couple hours. I don't know. They should have played him last night. They wouldn't have lost to the Portland Trailblazers. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, T Dub. <laughs> T-Dub. Okay, so moving along here, I want to ask you a little bit about this Morgan Hoffman situation. Obviously, Morgan Hoffman played at Oklahoma State uh, and in the past has suffered from muscular dystrophy, and he came up with a absolutely unbelievable way to take care of this disease, uh, and it Matt, not magically, but kind of like it, it was a miracle that, that this worked. Uh, kind of tell the people about the article that came out and everything about Morgan Hoffman. I mean, it literally is is a story of a miracle. It truly, truly is. I mean, from the way I understand it, it was um, pretty much the doctors in, in the United States basically said, there's nothing we can do for you. I mean, there's nothing we can do for it. He says muscular dystrophy, like you said. They pretty much just say he's a lost cause, so. Morgan, Morgan's just kind of like, you know, I gotta, I'm got i not just going to go out with, without a bang. He's got to try to figure out something. And I guess he came to the conclusion to head down to Costa Rica. It was him and, him and his wife or girlfriend, fiance, I, I forget, uh, nevertheless. 
down there and you went on this, uh, you know, kind of cleanse of sorts. You know, you go down there kind of in the, uh, I don't know what Costa Rica could be, the woods or the, uh, the mountains, something along those lines, big forest. And just kind of hangs out, gets more of a uh, kind of a spiritual getaway, I guess, would be the way that you'd phrase it if you were a healthy person going to do it. And, um, you know, from one of the things I got from the article, I wasn't able to finish all of it. I got through about the first uh, third to maybe up to 50% of it. And it's a pretty long read on golfdigest.com for anyone who wants to go out there and check it out. And, you know, it says that for like 20 days or 17 days, something along those lines, he, he only ate grapes and he only drank his urine. And somehow that healed him, cured him. And, you know, it's, it just goes to show how crazy it is. And we have all the technology in the world here. And uh, the doctors couldn't do anything for him. And for Morgan, it was just as simple as going out for some nature and getting away from everything, doing all those things. Obviously, there's a lot to it. But, you know, when you just think about that compared to what we try to do around here, it really is really is a miracle. Man. It really is. Just unbelievable story. And it just kind of hits you as like there's so many things that are bigger than the game of golf, but the golf community coming around him, you know, kind of embracing him and the PGA Tour giving him, you know, not one, but I think three medical exemptions to try to get this stuff figured out. And now he's driving, like you said, 90 minutes to this Muni <laughs> down there. And uh, and no one knows, and no who one knows he is. No one knows who he is yeah. either. And so, yeah. Yeah, that's oh, cool. I mean, you can't do that anywhere around here. That's unbelievable. And, man, I mean, you have to, you know, be a strong person. I don't care what you're going through to drink your own urine, you know, and eat grapes. I mean, I don't care if he knew that that was going to help him, but the fact that he just gave it a try and it worked, that's a miracle. A miracle. I mean, I, I don't I don't know the scientific benefits around from drinking urine, but uh, – it sounds like you've got an uncurable disease. You kind of try everything you can, and somehow, by the grace of God, this one worked this time, Sam. And and I, you know, I pray that it did because, you know, not only is is Morgan a, a great player, he's one of the best uh, junior players of all time, really. When you look at like the AG, AJGA polo rankings and that stuff, but it seems like everyone who knew him up at, at Oklahoma State, you know, since he was around this area, had nothing but nice things to say about him. So I mean, it's you know, it's always sad whenever something bad happens to a nice guy like that, but. It's even better when you know that they're able to come back from what they've been going through. Yeah, speaking of college golf in the state of Oklahoma, uh, I want to give a shout-out to Evan Griffith, who tied for first down in Houston. He is a player at the University of Central Oklahoma. I wanted to get that right because uh, OC, I think, finished second in that tournament. But UCO, Yeah, so UCO uh, hit – UCO's Evan Griffith uh, tied for first, lost in a playoff at three under down in Humble, Texas. Uh, that was a big-time tournament from him. And then I also want to give a shout-out to the Tulsa women. Uh, they were down in Kyle, Texas, and they finished second uh, to Brigham Young. Uh, Lily Thomas had a great tournament. Uh, she finished second uh, with a total score of 215 for three rounds. That's really solid playing. Uh, from Lily and the Golden Hurricane. Moving along here, TW got any Super Bowl picks for this weekend? Man, Sam, it's one of those games where it's like it's it's totally not what we expected to happen. Right? I mean, we assumed that the winner of the, that Bills Chiefs game was going to get there. You know, Chiefs kind of let us down a couple weeks ago, and uh, you know, I don't think many people saw the Rams making it there. There's a few people that did, but um, not a whole lot. So it's kind of a under the radar Super Bowl, if there, if there ever was one. And you know, I think the Rams are, what, a four-and-a-half-point favorite or something like that. And the over-and-under is like 49-and-a-half. 
I would probably, if I had to bet any side, I'd probably take the under. Under that 49, I think it's going to be a pretty low-scoring affair. I think the Bengals are probably going to struggle moving the ball. I think the Rams' defense is pretty good, and they'll step up. And, you know, one thing about it is I know that uh, the Rams have been in the Super Bowl, Sean McVay has, and the Bengals obviously won their first playoff game this year since, like, 1990 or something like that. So I think there's a little bit of a coaching, uh, you know, leans a little bit more towards the Rams. So if I had to pick a winner, I'll go with the Rams, and I would – I might actually make a bet on the under, Sam. I'm pretty high on that one. Man, I, I like the over in this one, T-Dub. I think that there could oh. be a bunch of points scored. Life's too short to bet the under, T-Dub. I think it's going to be a absolute just dagger fest between the two quarterbacks. I love Matt Stafford, and I really love Joey Burrow. I think it could be one of the more entertaining Super Bowls we've seen in a long time. Uh, especially, it's kind of ironic that... You know, we have Brady retire, and it's kind of the passing of the guard to these new young quarterbacks and maybe even a, a veteran that hasn't been to a Super Bowl yet in Matt Stafford will win the MVP. I don't know. I'll probably pick the Rams to win. I haven't decided on the spread yet. I don't know whether Joey Burrow can do it without that great offensive line. It's not It's not the best, and so I think that the Rams could definitely get to Joey Burrow and maybe make it kind of a blowout, but I don't know if there's ever going to be a blowout, especially after watching these games <laughs> so far in the playoffs this year. So I'll probably go Rams and then to be determined on the four and a half, but I'll go over as well on the over-under. Okay, T-Dub, I got a couple questions to ask you before we get to our preview for the waste management. Number one, can you tell me who made an ace on the 16th hole at the Waste Management in 1990 that has ties to the state of Oklahoma? 1990 that has the uh, ties to Oklahoma. Oh, let me see. Was it one of the Edwards brothers? It absolutely was. Now you got a 50-50 chance. Oh, no. Oh, no. I'm going to be mad (laughs) if I get get it wrong. Oh, give me Danny. Give me Danny Edwards. <laughs> God damn it! How do I get that it, first part right? This? God dang it! It was a heck of a guess until it wasn't T Dub. Uh, it was God, David Edwards. So far. It was David Edwards in 1990 made the ace, uh, and there has been nine aces at the Waste Management Open on the 16th hole. Uh, and then I wanted to get into this T Dub. I saw that there was a 10 hole playoff. Uh, for the Monday qualifier for the Waste Management Open. What an unbelievable playoff. Have you ever been in a 10-hole playoff, T-Dub? No, I'm trying to think. what. God, what, what's the longest playoff you've ever been in, Sam? I think mine's four. Yeah, it's got to be like three or four. I've never been in a long knockdown drag out before. The shortest playoff I've ever been in is one hole, and, and I don't know if I've ever won many of those. I think most of those I've lost, <laughs> so that's fun. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, how crazy is that? Did it, I, I actually didn't hear about this then. Did it say how, how big the playoff started out at? Yes, T-Dub. So, Ben Silverman won the playoff, but then there was a six-man for two-spot playoff that lasted ten holes that you're going to have to help me with this name. Etienne Papineau and Jeffrey Kang came out of, uh, and Kang will get his first professional start at the Waste Management Open. I mean, Sam, could you imagine going into a 10-hole playoff and not getting a spot? Like, how miserable would that be? 
That would be absolutely, especially for that tournament. That's like you have majors and then you have the players and then I would probably say waste management would be the coolest tournament to Monday qualify into, right? I, I would, I mean, I would absolutely think so. I don't think that, you know, obviously like the players, there's not, there's only so many tournaments that has a Monday qualifier. So I, I'll be honest with you with the, with how well the strength well, I guess, is. Well, yeah, you week, can't I'm even actually- Monday qualify into the players. So what am I saying? So you have obviously <laughs> the U.S. Open, the British Open, and then, you know, probably the waste management. What, what, is there another one that comes off the top of your head? No, I, I mean, they don't have Monday qualifiers for like Bay Hill and the Memorial as far as I'm aware of. Um, I'm, I, the only other one I could think of, but I, I still wouldn't say it is like Colonial. Um, I mean, I just, that's just because I like that course so much. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, 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 I'm, like I said, I'm really shocked that they even have a Monday qualifier for this tournament. I think it's pretty cool, and hopefully we'll get to see what these guys do on 16 with the late notice. I know that uh, that Jonathan Bird got in the tournament, and our guy Country Club Collection uh, was hanging out with him yesterday and had to go run and get him a Clemson jersey because <laughs> he didn't know that everyone was going to wear jerseys on the 16th hole, and so he had to make a late push to the uh, jersey store to get uh, a Higgins jersey made, I think it was. A T. Higgins jersey, yeah, that's not bad. He might he might have a big game this week. Also, close a shout out our boy Brent Venables. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. So, T. Dub, let's go into the waste management. Do you have a strength of field for me? And I will guess. I do. Let me uh, while you're making that guess, I'll get a full bit. All right. So ready. I'm gonna go. It's a great strength of field this week. Man, there's a bunch of good players. What is it? You know, eight out of the top. 15 guys or something like that, right, T-Dub? Yes. Uh, I mean, here, I'm getting the – I got the strength of field here, now I'm pulling up the actual field. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, nine, 10 out of the top 15 players. 10 out of the top 15, including Rom, Hovland, Cantlay, Thomas, Shoffley, Matsuyama, who's won here before, Jordan Spieth, and Kepka, who's won here before. I think it has to be high. I'm going to go like 530. Man, Sam, you about nailed it, bro. 533. 533, really? Dude, you're so close, bro. But, I mean, you just listed off those guys right there, man. You Even deeper, you know, you got so many guys in the top 50 in the world playing, then you got a good amount in the top 100. I mean, this is this is a loaded field. And, you know, the point that I'm, I'm trying to make, Sam, is that this was a strength of field of 533, and last week was a strength of field of 186 at the at Pebble Beach Pro Am. That's just wow. it's just phenomenal to me that that those two are such distinctly different fields. It's really, it's really crazy. To me. It really is, but it makes sense to me. The, these guys, number one, a lot of these guys live out there, uh, so it's an easy travel. But it's just one of the most fun tournaments to play in. It's an easier course. It's not like a grind. It's a fun time for these guys. I think that this is probably one of the more popular tournaments, not only for, you know, the fans, but for the players as well. Uh, So I think that that's kind of why you see that strength of field that it is. And I think that it'll only continue to grow. And I think that these younger guys have kind of embraced the waste management at where kind of, you know, I mean, we had Tiger play when he was younger. uh, And then as these guys get older, they might skip the waste management, but you know, I I think that we'll continue to see the waste management get some great fields, and it kind of comes at a good time in their schedule as well. And, and I mean, I think you make an excellent point there about those guys just live out there, and so it's so easy to, to play. And you know, one quick question I want to ask you, Sam, because you brought up a really good point about how this feels like 
kind of golf all-star week, right? It's just that setting and that vibe or whatever. Yeah. Like, if, if we did implement an all-star week, you know, because all-star week has a slam dunk contest and the uh, three-point contest and all that. Uh-huh. Um, what, um, what, what contest do you think we would add if we had an all-star week for golf? Long drive contest? Obviously, long drive, you? closest to the pin. Um, you might have some horse. I'd, I'd like to see some horse with, like, Phil Mickelson and, you know, some other guys that could, you know, maybe get around the green and do some chipping contests and play some horse. Yeah, horse would be fun too. Uh, what uh, what kind of putting games do you think we'd play? Would we do any of those? Well, I don't know. You could have like a match play putting competition, right? That would work. Um, I mean, you could do like a maybe like an eighty foot putt or like a hundred something foot putt, and then see if anyone can make it. That I'll take Harold Varner on that one. <laughs> you and me both, especially if it's in Saudi. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, T Dub. Before we give our picks, I want to ask you about Bryson DeChambeau real quick. And I want you to tell me which Bryson DeChambeau was better. Okay, so I'm going to tell you Bryson pre-bulk. Okay, average driving distance, 302. Total starts, 42. Total wins, 5. Top 10 finishes, 13. Majors, 0. Highest ranking, 5. Scoring average, 69.6. Okay? Now, post-bulk, his driving distance is 323.6. Total starts the same at 42. Total wins, 3 to the pre-bulk, 5. Total top 10s, 17 to the pre-bulk, 13. Major wins, 1 to the pre-bulk, 0. You have highest ranking four to the pre-bulk five, and then scoring average is 69.5, which is essentially the same. So which one are you taking? You know, Sam, it's, it's a fairly interesting conundrum because, you know, people forget, you know, everyone thinks that, oh, pre-bulk Bryson wasn't very good or whatever. I mean, he, he won two playoff events. He wasn't to great and to he, start his career, but then he really caught his form, especially right before well, he bulked up. Yes, I agree. And, you know, the main reason that he was really struggling, Sam, was his putting. You know, he tried the side saddle, crazy, whatever the hell he was trying to do there. And, like, he was, like, 212, 180-something or whatever in putting. I mean, he just was terrible. And then, you know, know, this post-Bolt Bryson, you know, could started learning how to putt, whether it be from arm block, green ring, book, whatever it may be. He was able to get the ball in the hole, and that really helped. Um, You know, going back to even – pre-Bolt Bryson, he's always just been a real streaky player. You know, like he won those two playoff events back-to-back, and it you know, just goes to show that when he catches heaters, he's just going to be really hard to beat. And I think him bulking up just added to that, where, you know, he's going to he's gonna have those tournaments like the U.S. Open where he wins by six strokes just because he's hitting fairways and has his distance control dialed down. But, uh, you know, just watching him play that pulse bulk, that's one of the things that I noticed is that he's having such a hard time controlling his wedge distance and even his uh, – you know, he doesn't hit that many long irons, but his short to mid iron distance has just been all over the place. So, and obviously the report coming out about how he slipped and fell and, you know, I, you know, and he posted about how it didn't have to do anything about him lifting. So we'll see how much effect that has on it going on. But, um, you know, it's just the thing, Sam, a lot of people would say pulse bulk, but it's really not that simple. And, you know, the different, the main difference is that major championship, which I, I don't know if he would have won one had he not bulked up. So I think that, that has carries a lot of weight to it. So I would say, man, it's 
it's really close. And the fact that it's close is telling. So I'd probably go post-bulk like 60% and pre-bulk 40%. What do you think? Yeah, I think that he did win a major because he was so bulked up, right? I think he I, just dominated yeah. the U.S. Open at Wingfoot, and that's why he has a major championship right now. I don't know necessarily if he would or would not have had it if he never bulked up in the first place, but essentially he's been the same player other than that major. Yes, very much. And and like I said, the, the main thing that's improved is, is his putting. And we'll see how much, how much that goes into effect here. Who knows? Maybe, you know, I, I think that if anyone was going to struggle without a green green book, it would be Bryson. So, you know, let's see how that, how that goes down. And then we could always see an arm lock band, you know, a couple years down the line, uh, which would play a big part into it. But, um, you know, if Bryce is going to be out there hitting 300, and he's averaging 323, so, I mean, he could hit drives 350, 360 easily. And right. if he's able to do that while hitting fairways, it's, it's going to be tough to beat him. So, I think to answer your question – It's going to be tough I to beat him on certain courses. But, yes. Well, I mean, you know, if he's, if he's hitting 360 bombs in the fairway, it's, you know, those – you know, for example, of course, like Augusta, maybe not because there's so many dog legs, especially when you get uh, further down there. So I think that you know, and maybe the greens are like so that. just diabolical, but and and they're fast too. So you have to play so much break there. So I, you know, we always make fun of Bryson saying as far as sixty-seven. I guess that's just a load of crap. Yeah. And um, so I, I just think that with his new bulked-up form, it just adds on to his streakiness. So I think that Bryson's best golf um, from post-bulk would beat his best golf from pre-bulk. But I also think the floor of, of post-bulk Bryson is a lot lower than the floor of pre-bulk Bryson. That makes well, speaking of Augusta, at the Waste Management, we have a bunch of guys that have had success at Augusta that have also had success at the Waste Management. Particularly, my one-and-done pick this week. You're going to give your one-and-done and DraftKings pick later in the show, but I'll go ahead and give you my one-and-done pick right now. And it's going to surprise some people. I am going to go with Bubba Watson. And you might say, what? Out of this great field, you're going to pick Bubba Watson? Number one, I'm not picking him to win the tournament. I'm picking John Rahm to win the tournament. That's the safe bet. But the risky long shot bet, and not necessarily a long shot in my mind, is Bubba Watson. Now, if you go back through his waste management finishes in 2021 he's finished 22nd then the year before that third then fourth then 40th missed cut but then you go 14th second second 15th fifth and he has good recent form playing well at Saudi honestly probably should have at least made a playoff or one in Saudi Arabia I think that Bubba Watson has a big week at the waste management this week do you agree or disagree you know, Sam, I, I do think he does. And the question I got for you is, what what do you make of traveling uh, halfway across the world to come play a tournament in the next three days? Do you think that will take any effect on him? It definitely has an effect, and I'm hoping that it doesn't have an effect. <laughs> right? And so, <laughs> well, But my deal is, a lot of these guys, a lot of these guys are going from Saudi to the waste management. And so I think that good recent form tops having to sit on a long flight. And I think that... Bubba Watson will have that energy just because it's the waste management. He loves this place. He loves the whole 16th vibe. He loves to have fun with the fans. And I think that it's a perfect fit for him, especially when he's playing well. 
And, and you mentioned it, Sam. You not only do you have recent form with him almost winning last week, if not for a 95-foot eagle putt or whatever, it would have been in the playoff. But just the, the recent course or the, the uh, success at, at, at CBC Scottsdale since 2009 here, so he missed one cut, and that includes, I believe, five top five finishes. So, yep. I mean, just I, I definitely think that, that Bubba is, is a good pick this week. And, um, you know, I think that, like I said, the, the flight over is probably the only thing that, that would take me from not picking him. Um, and, no, you know, I, I'm kind of with you, Sam. I don't think he's going to win the tournament. But um, I definitely think that he'll – I would say Bubba will probably finish top 15, top 40. I think he's a perfect one-and-done pick for this week because I don't think there's any chance that he misses the cut this week just based on current form and his previous course history. Now, I could be totally wrong, and Bubba has a tendency to just throw in some clunkers, but I'm hoping that that doesn't happen, and that way I can save some other guys because I'm not going to pick Bubba Watson at a major. Are you crazy? <laughs> you know. And so I think if I'm going to pick Bubba Watson, it's going to be this week and get him while he's hot. Uh, so that leads me into my DraftKings, and since you're giving your picks later on, I'll go ahead and just read off my picks and then kind of get your input on what you think. All right? Let's roll, baby. All right, so I'm going to go ahead, and I'm very middle-loaded this week, T-Dub. I'm going to start off at 7,600. I'm going to go Max Homa. Now, Max Homa's a guy that loves the Scottsdale area, I think that he could have a big week this week, and he's only 7,600, and he fit in perfect with my lineup because I think there's some value at the top. However, it's very risky because the middle part of this field is very, very good, as opposed to like last week at Pebble Beach, the middle part of the field was pretty terrible, right? Comparatively, right? And so I'm, oh, I'm going to go with Max Homa at 7,600 as my lowest pick this week. I'm also going to go 7,600 Ricky Fowler. Uh, and Ricky Fowler, you know, I've been pretty hard on Ricky Fowler in the past. But if I'm going to put Ricky in my DraftKings, it's going to be at the Waste Management. He loves this place. I think he could get some good vibes rolling and... You know, he was 7,600 just staring me in the face, and I'm looking at the guys around him. And I think that Ricky's a better player than those guys that they had around him at 7,600. Now, is he going to let me down? Probably. But I'm going to pick him. So what do you think about Homa and Ricky this week? I, I really like your Homa pick, Sam. He's 3-for-3 three three on Custier made. So I, I think that that, that trick will continue. I think it'll go 4-for-4. Four four. Um, obviously, Ricky just leaves a sour taste in my mouth. He burned me bad at the American Express. Didn't even didn't even sniff the cut. Um, the one thing I will say to your pick, he did miss the cut the next uh, week at Torrey. But on the north course, he was like six under or five under or whatever it was. And then he gets on the tough course, the south course, and, um, you know, completely shits the bed. But going back to how, he, how well he plays at this course, he won here back in 2019, uh, finished second 2016, 2010. And I think that, just going back to that point of we played good at the north course and not at the south course, and you brought it up a great point earlier, is that you know this is a fairly easier course comparatively to what they've been playing up, up the last couple of weeks. So I think that that will benefit Ricky. Um, it's just and, until I see something that, that impresses me, Sam, I, I can't get back on the Ricky pick bang, right? He burned me too bad at the American Express. He just burned me too bad. I understand, but he has that little picture on DraftKings just staring you in the face saying, I'm 7,600, and you're not going to pick me? You're not going to pick me at 7,600? Eventually, he's got to have a great week 
when he is that low on DraftKings. He deserves more respect than that. But then again, maybe not. We'll find out. So that leads me to my next pick, 7,800, the best value you can possibly have in this tournament. Harold Varner, a guy that won a great event last week. I don't care that it was in Saudi Arabia. We just talked about it with Bubba Watson. You're telling me I can get a guy that won last week at a much better field than Pebble Beach at 7,800? you got to put him in your lineup, right, T-Dub? I mean, it's, uh, you know, I brought up the question earlier about the flight, and then, and then you had the element of has Varner been celebrating? This is the first uh, first professional win he's had since the end of 2016 at the Australian PGA or whatever it was. And uh, so you, you got that to take into account. But I will say this, played here uh, every year since 2016 and um, missed the cut first year, but since then has made four or five cuts. Two of the last three years, he's finished top 13. And I think we could argue that he's playing better than he was at that point. So, you know, everything adds up to the fact that he should play well. You just you just wonder, first win in, in four and a half, five years, however long it was, you know, ha, ha, did he did he have a few few too many beverages uh, celebrating, Sam? I think that's my question. Possibly, but you know, sometimes beware of the hungover golfer, right? <laughs> Either with yourself or with your playing competitor, it can go two ways. Exactly. All right, T-Dub, you're going to have to help me out with this one again. I have Webb Simpson in my lineup. Late, late cut for Webb Simpson. Dropped out of the tournament late last night. Now, tell me a few guys that are around 8,600 for this tournament. Around 8,600, you got, uh, you know, I don't know if you had any cash left over. So I did not. So I would have to go okay, 85 no or 86 or lower. Okay, eighty. Let's see, eighty five hundred. You got Adam Scott. Eighty four hundred. You got um, Seamus Power. You got uh, Russell Henley. Eighty two hundred. Any of those guys pique your interest? Yeah, just give me Seamus Power. I mean, the guy has been current form. You know, I don't have the stats right in front of me of his current form. Let's see. He has. He's been gaining point four five putting, point one five around the green. 0.33 approach and 0.21 off the tee, that adds up to 1.54 per round strokes gained on the field so far this year in 2022. This guy is trending, and he's trending in a big way. I think that you could possibly see Seamus Power contending for majors here in the not-so-distant future if he keeps playing like this. I mean, this is, uh, this is top 50 caliber player right now. And, you know, the thing that we got to worry about, Sam, is, you know, we saw at the American Express, he was leading after, or he wasn't leading, I believe he was one or two back um, after three rounds and then ended up finishing like 30th. And then we saw last week where he um, he was uh, set the tournament record, Sam, at at and Peak, 16 under through two rounds. Yep. And then he actually, he had already played five glass up at that point. So you're thinking, man, this guy's going to get to 24, 25 under. And he shoots three over at Monterey and then doesn't play good at Pebble. Still finishes top 10. But, um, you know, does, does any of that – it's like Steve Smith said. You know, losing is like smoking cigarettes. It sticks with you even if you realize it or not. So, <laughs> I just – I wonder if that's going to happen to him. But you could also see it to where he's playing so well. Might have might have addressed those issues in his head the uh, last couple of weeks. And he might go out there, lead after two or three rounds, and then continue on and push push to win by four or five strokes. Um, the, thing I, the, the point – well, go ahead. The, th- the thing that I like about Seamus Power is he's almost gaining a half a shot per round putting. And 
TPC Scottsdale is going to turn into a putting contest because it's one of the easier courses on tour. Everyone's going to hit a bunch of greens, and it's going to turn into a putting contest. Am I right? Uh, in, in theory, yes. Unless you are just so bad with the ball striking that you're hitting it in the desert, then you, you then you're just going to miss the cut, and go home on, on Friday afternoon. So, but uh, you know, one of the rules is saying you said beware the uh, hungover golfer, beware the guy with the hot putter, and that's what uh, Seamus Power has. Right now. Exactly. Okay, so then that leads me to Bubba Watson. We just talked about him at nine thousand. I think that he has a lot of value at nine thousand. I know there's guys at the top of the you know data golf predictions and the DraftKings predictions you have guys like Rom and Cantlay and Thomas and I I bet a bunch of people go with Matsuyama or Hovland and Berger give me Bubba at 9000 and when he finishes top 10 I will be singing his praises and hopefully he doesn't miss the cut and burn me I mean, it sounds like to me, Sam, you went pretty middle-loaded, so it's kind of like you're, you're going for uh, – I mean, obviously you want all six guys to make the cut, but, uh, you know, you, you, you're not going very top-heavy and uh, trying to get a big dog and find some guys to make the cut. You're going with just some steady, already accomplished players. Yeah, I think that a lot of people are going to see the big names in this tournament, whether it be on DraftKings or in the one-and-done, and I think that there's some value in some other places, and I'm going to try to gain some ground in the one-and-done especially and pick Bubba Watson. Uh, and that leads me to my one big name in my DraftKings lineup, a guy that, you know, 9,400 for a guy that has won here before and has maybe the most talent on tour. Give me Brooks Kepka. I don't care what the current form is. I don't care. Brooks Kepka at the Waste Management it's like peas and carrots, T Dub. I mean, you know, Sam. I mean, we got you've got the the guy that won, is defending champion here, first Kepka, and you got the guy that won last week at Harold Varner. So, I mean, you know, if they could just play like they did then, dude, you're gonna be in business. I'm gonna be in big time business, and I had to throw uh, Brooks in my DraftKings lineup because my first ever show I did with y'all last year, I picked Brooks Kepka to win, and he won. Uh, that's a very, very, very good sign. So, you know, I got to ask you, Sam. He's been here, been here four times. He's won twice. His other two appearances are forty first and forty second. So he has not in four appearances. He has not finished second through fortieth, and he hasn't <laughs> finished forty third through miscut. So, I mean, well, where's is our man Kepka going to win? Is he going to finish fortieth? I don't know. I don't think there's anything in between. Well, it's heads or tails. So uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and choose heads. What what are you gonna bet, what are you gonna bet on at the Super Bowl, T Dub? Heads or tails? Oh, that's good. I I always pick heads, but it seems like when I watch point toss, it's more tails. All the, why is it? Do why do all the teams get tails? You ever notice that? I think it's the old tails never fails, but they always just kind of omit it when it does fail. <laughs> it's They're, literally fifty fifty. It was a bad it was literally. a bad toss when it fails. <laughs> always blame the ref. Always blame the ref. What about what about the uh, Gatorade? What color? Ooh, well, you know that question is: Is it going to be the team that wins? Do they have different colors going on? Like if the Bengals win, you got to think it'd be orange, right? Um, and then then the Rams, what would it be? Either the yellow or the or the blue? I do know that the clear slash white is the favorite. Clear white, huh? I guess that probably is the one that's used most huh, on the sidelines. I, you know, it's not really something I pay much attention to, but I guess when you do see it, you do. What is the clear? The white cherry or something like that? That's pretty good. Now, would that be um, the easiest bet to rig in all of sports? The Gatorade, because you could have 
technically you could have water, but you could put blue food coloring in it and bet on it and, you know, then go to jail for a long time if you get caught. But I feel like it would be a really easy bet to rig. You know, and, you know, one of the other bets that I think is, is right along that line is, you know, I don't know if they have it this year, but they would always have the, uh, you know, like, what is Bill Belichick going to wear? Is it going to be hoodie or whatever? Or what is the coach going to wear? That kind of thing. Yep. And it's like, just text them two hours before. Hey, what you going to wear, man? I got a couple and, more. Yeah. I know that, uh, I know that the national anthem, they're calling her Quickie Mickey, right? Because she's one of the fastest national anthem singers of all time in her history of singing national anthems. Are you going under or over? Are you trusting the fact that she will sing it fast, or will she take this moment to kind of soak it in in all her glory? You know, this this is a, a question, an interesting conundrum because you would think that with the sales pitch you just gave me, that it's going to be quick, but. Uh, you know, I think Vegas may already be anticipating that. <laughs> Vegas <And> then, knows too. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you, you're probably on to something there where she's going to relish the moment. So then that's got to be just a few seconds longer than she usually does. So I'm going to go with the over, Sam. I don't know what it is, but I'm assuming Vegas knows their stuff and that the quickie Mickey is pretty quick. So I'm going to go with the over. Unless she's just going out there trying to set the record for fastest Super Bowl anthem, which I did not know the, what that record is. Okay, I got some more for you. Will there be background dancers during the halftime show, if you say no, you can get plus twenty five hundred on no. And you know, oh, is yeah. there is there any way that you know, since it's rappers with Dr. Dre and Snoop and Eminem, that they might not have any background dancers? I I, I would venture there'd be some background dancers, and I bet they would be uh, probably not wearing very many clothes. That'll probably be my my <laughs> guess for the background dancers. All right, you'll like this one, T-Dub. Will Snoop Dogg smoke on stage? I think if he doesn't, it's a shame. It, it I is. I mean, especially <laughs> out in California, you know. <laughs> yeah, no is actually the favorite. Minus 150 on this one. I mean, it is, it is kind of a risky business, you know, just smoking it up in there. Um, <laughs> you, know, I, you know, one thing that, that makes me mad is that, you know, I, I don't know if you've seen it. There's the Corona commercial that went around with, with Snoop Dogg, and he said, there's nothing better than sharing a beer with your friends. And it's like, have you completely gone against what you've done for 40 years of your life? Like, <laughs> beer's better than smoking now? What the hell? Okay. I mean, right. just... <laughs> what, what, what do you think about this one? First coach they show during the national anthem. Ooh, I, I'm going to say McVeigh. I don't know why. I think they'll probably show all the Rams guys first. What about uh, what about Stafford versus Joey Burrow? First person they show. I bet they show Burrow first. Bet they show Burrow first. All right. Well, T Dub, we might have to uh, make a little list and uh, and see how those turned out. I mean, you want to talk about flipping a coin, man. I'm telling you, I mean, what quarterback <laughs> they going to show first? <laughs> but I love it, Here's man. another one that I never heard. That uh, that you can also bet on the first field goal. You can either bet on make or miss, but you can also bet on how they're going to miss it. Left, upright, wide left, wide right, right upright, crossbar. You can get at a huge underdog. Uh, what would you bet on for the first field goal? Man, I, I, I'm going to say this. I think I think the first field goal is going to be a make, um, just because I think it's going to be a team that drives down into the red zone. Doesn't get it in, kind of like what I was talking about. Since I like the under, I think there'll be some red zone stoppages. 
this game. So I, I would think the first field goal will be a make. Um, I do think we will see a missed field goal. I think we'll see a wide right. That would be my pick. All right, my last one, T-Dub. What lasts longer, the shortest drive of the game or the national anthem? What What lasts longer or shorter? What? Well, either one. Like, <laughs> what do you so, think? So, what, so which, yeah, so which one's going to be the shortest? Is the Correct. Um, and um, not as far as real time. The, the drive, obviously, the clock stops and all that. So do you think it's and, – and it's going to be around a minute a minute 30 or so. I, I bet you see uh, – I bet you see three incompletions and a punt somewhere. So, uh, no, so, scoring, yeah, drive, I, I like, scoring drive, scoring oh, drive. Oh, scoring drive, scoring yes. drive, scoring drive. Yes. Okay, then I will um, – I'll probably say the national anthem unless uh, unless someone just blows a coverage, which um, <laughs> I guess could happen. But um, I, I I would say the national anthem would be shorter. All right, Tito. If if the waste management had some of these bets, what would be some fun bets to bet on as far as golf goes? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, you know, one thing would be. Um, you know, like what number of a ball a player uses, but you can't really figure that out very quickly. How about that? How about um, Phil? We saw on Twitter that he doesn't use a number on his ball. He uses his logo. Dude, that's pretty baller status, dude. <laughs> I mean, I know small baller, but I mean, that is And pretty Phil tweeted out, there. he goes, I didn't know people still use numbers. <laughs> well, what number do you use, Sam? I don't care. I'm not superstitious when it comes to that. I'll use any any number between one and eight. I don't care. I, I got a funny story for you. So I had a I had a friend who um, he played on Latin American tour for a little bit, and um, he was uh, he he was kind of on with Tyler's whatever you phrase it, not clubs but balls, gloves, and all that. And for whatever reason, he was so super superstitious with the number two. So he would always get a dozen balls, and he'd always give me the sleeve with the number two. So I, I played Tyler's number twos for like five years of my life. <laughs> That's a pretty good deal. It was a hell of a deal. Now, now I play uh, KMA TP5X, so uh, I don't know. I'm kind of like, you know, I, if I had to choose to not use the number on a ball, I probably would. Uh, the old Pro V1s, I always like the high numbers. I like the sevens. Those are cool. Um, if I had – you see a lot of anymore, they let you personalize numbers. Um, my favorite number is 10, so if I had to choose, I'd probably do number 10. Do number 10. All right, that makes sense. Uh, T-Dub, I'm, I'm over here looking at my hole-in-one balls – and I did not realize this until you just told me, and I kind of looked over. Four, three out of the four were number fours, so maybe I maybe I should start only playing number fours. What was the what was what number was the other one? There, it was a three. So, so I mean, I I think one or two is not an option anymore. Sam, you got to go three or four, and I think definitely <laughs> fours are the way to go. I guess so. I didn't realize that until I just glanced over there and we were talking about that. T Dub, I think. And now you, you, I was going to say you now you, you didn't. I was going to say you didn't turn superstitious on us, but you did get a little stitious on us just right there. I did just get a little stitious on them. Uh, T Dub, who is going to make the biggest splash on sixteen? Not as far as golf. I mean, I'm sure there might be. You know. Uh, someone stuffs it close or maybe even a hole-in-one, but who is going to put on the biggest show on number 16, especially on Saturday? Man, what, what if our boy Harold Varner just pulled out like five pairs of shorts and just started throwing them in the stands? How bad is that? <laughs> now, that, w- um, that would be sick. What Do we have any clue what, uh, what our boy Taylor Gooch is going to do? You- I think that's going to be something to look for right there. Um, I have no idea. 
Uh, maybe he'll bring the uh, the big bottle of uh, champagne that he opened when he won his first tournament. That'd be pretty cool. No, that's already gone. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, yes, yes, uh, maybe a replica of it is what I was trying. <laughs> the replica champagne bottle. All right, T-Dub. Well, I appreciate you coming on the Waste Management Preview with me, and then you will be on the Waste Management Preview with Colby right after this. I appreciate everyone listening to the 73rd Hole, the official award-winning podcast of Golf Oklahoma. GolfOklahoma.org. GolfOklahoma.org are great partners getting you ready for golf this spring in the state of Oklahoma. Great golf being played in this state, whether that is at the collegiate level, the high school level, or at the professional level in the month of May as the PGA Championship makes its way to Southern Hills. Speaking of some great college golf, uh, Taylor, we talked on Monday about Eugenio Chikara and what he did for Oklahoma State in Hawaii over the weekend. A final round, 10 under, 62, to shoot 19 under for the event and win the tournament. And three days later, what happens? Carolina Chikara, Eugenio Chikara's sister, who plays for Wake Forest, fires a 10 under, final round, 62. She shoots 19 under par and wins the UCF challenge. That's a crazy story. Brother, sister, merely a few days apart, final round 10 under 62s to both shoot 19 under for the event and both win the event. I'd say there's some pretty good genetics in the Chikara family. I mean, there, there's literally no doubt about that. I mean, look at it. She's only a freshman, Colby. I mean, it's not like she's a, a fifth-year senior or whatever getting out there shooting 62. I mean, you're freshman. So, I mean, a lot of times whenever you play college golf, you play a lot of the same courses every year, so you get used to them. So, there's no there's no bit of that going on. So, what did you say she shot for the tournament? 19 under? 19 under for the tournament. Same, and, as, same as her brother. Did it say how I many she won by? Uh, yes, yeah, uh, she, she won by four. She four. won by four. Wow. Eugenio, Eugenio won by two. She won by four. Wow, I mean, how about that? So, I mean, that's pretty good low scores out there on women's side. And, I mean, Wake Forest, I'm not familiar necessarily with their women's program. I know their men's program is one of the top ten programs in the country. So, I mean, whenever you got two siblings and they go to OSU and Wake Forest, you know, something's going right there in the uh, in that in that equation. So, you know, one thing, that I brought this up with you, Colby, and I'm getting off track here. I just wanted you to kind of uh, we talk about it while, we're, uh, while we had it going on. The picture that they have of, of the women on the Wake Forest team, they're essentially all wearing T-shirts. And I, I showed you the picture, and I said, if any man wore this to a club where you needed to have a, a collar or better, they would not let you wear it. And so my question was, why do women get to wear T-shirts and less attire when they play than men? And I think you had a pretty good answer, Cole. My theory was, forever, men have made the rules as to what is allowed to be worn at the golf course, and very traditional on the men's side, because remember, they started out playing in suits, and then now we've worked our way away from ties and bow ties and the, you know, the little Bryson hats to <laughs> what, is, what is better attire for men. I mean, it's now a polo and shorts at your club, pants on the tour, but, I mean, outfits have just never been strict, as strict for women because men always made the rules. Women came into the game later. Their attire and their dress code was determined by men who were not necessarily as concerned with them um, wearing their Sunday best at the golf course. And I thought it was a really good way to put it. And I will say this, you know, 
golf attire has lightened up. You have you've had joggers out there now. You have the Nike shirts that have the two buttons. Eric Van Royen. The the Eric Van Royen yep. look. I mean, yep. you've got you got Air Jordans out there. I mean, the, you got, uh, when you say the Nike shirt, are you talking about like the Tiger? Yeah, not, not like a mock turtleneck, but the the one that has just like a. I mean, essentially, it's fairly close to a t-shirt kind of collar. It's on like it. in between a mock and a t-shirt, essentially. It's like just enough collar to like make yeah. it to where you can't complain. And so it's like I definitely see that that golf attire is leaning towards the more casual side, which is good. It was just something I noticed, and I was like, man, I would like to be. Able, I would have been able like to wear that shirt whenever I play tournaments. So, and I mean, I might have been able to save you know at least two, one or two strokes over the course of three years that I played. Do you have any of those like small collar shirts? I think, I, think I, I think I have two of them, yeah. I think I have two of them. And I got to say, I'm pro small collars on the shirts. I am too. They're comfortable. I mean, they're they're lighter. You know, one thing that I had to deal with back in the day when you wear the mock, you got to deal with the uh, the tan line. The tan line of the mock during the summer. I, ne- I never had a problem with that. It's a burn line. It's a bur- It burns. You put aloe on it. It turns back white. Speaking of sunburns, Taylor, let's talk about our man Morgan Hoffman. So Morgan Hoffman, at one time, number one amateur in the world, player at Oklahoma State, and he was on those, I mean, he was on really good Oklahoma State teams. Uh, Peter Uline, Morgan Hoffman, Kevin Tway. I think he was on, I think he had some overlap with Ricky Fowler as well. Whenever Gooch was there, Gooch was on that 2011 team. They had some pretty star-studded teams back in the day. Morgan Hoffman was 120 swing speeds before everybody was 120 swing speeds, all that good stuff. And looking at this story on Golf Digest that dropped yesterday, Daniel Rappaport wrote this story. And it's phenomenal. It's called Morgan Hoffman left the PGA Tour in search of a cure. He found so much more. He was diagnosed with muscular dystrophy, which I didn't realize. You know, you knew he had an injury. You knew he was dealing with some stuff. I didn't realize he was diagnosed with muscular dystrophy. And he has moved to Costa Rica. I mean, one of the earliest lines of this story, he now stands proudly inside a sprawling mountaintop house with no doors or windows in the jungle of Costa Rica. His curly golden locks cascading to his shoulders, barefoot, feeding fresh ground peanut butter to three dogs and two cats. It's Monday, but it could be Saturday for the same price. Taylor, he moved to Costa Rica. He lives a natural wellness, holistic life, and his body has started to heal himself. He's got a few medical starts. He's going to try to, you know, fly back over and see what he can do in his few starts. It's, I mean, the odds are long for him to make it back on the tour, but just the story of his life is fascinating. I mean, Colby, I, I had not, I had not known about this article. I'm really glad you pointed it out to me. And I, I tell you what, this is on. Uh, I believe you said it already. It's on GolfDigest.com. Anyone can check it out. Make sure to do. And I mean, it, it's a long read here, so I've only been able to get through the first probably third of it or so. But you know, I remember watching him at uh, at that 2011 Nationals, Colby, when we were up there at Karsten, and I, I, I he was by far one of the best players I saw up there, and that includes uh, Bud Colley, uh, Peter Uline, and Patrick Cantley were all in that final group. And I remember Morgan Hoffman sticking out to me being. Really impressive, and I also remember growing up, he was, I believe he was from the New Jersey area growing up, and he was the number one junior in the world. Like, it was like him before Spieth, essentially. He was kind of Spieth before. He was big time. Oh, he was elite, and OSU knew he was getting him for a long time, so I mean, it was just another great get on that end. But in my opinion, Colby, I think it's it's so, so awesome to know that someone can go through something this harsh and be able to come back from it. And it's it doesn't matter what you have to do to do it. As long as you're able to get your life right and make sure your family's life right, I, you need to do it. And 
what were you saying, Colby? Like he he ate grapes for like twenty days or something like that. He only drank his urine. <laughs> he so he wanted to try a grape cleanse because he's looking at non-Western medicine ways to heal his body. He wanted to try a grape cleanse because he'd heard about people having success with grape cleanse. He ate only grapes for seventeen straight days, about eight hundred grapes a day. This was before he moved to Costa Rica. This when he was still living in Jupiter. He said we'd go to the Whole Foods in Jupiter every morning, and they'd be like, "There's the grape guy," because he's coming in to get eight hundred grapes. He'd clear out the whole grape section. So nobody else at that Whole Foods would get grapes for the day because he'd clear out the whole section. Uh, and then, yeah, he said he did like a, a cleanse where for two weeks all he did was drink a cup of his urine in the morning and at night. And it's, I mean, it's a different life. It's a holistic wellness healing type life. And it's, it's you hear stories about this happening, but... Do you, has any other athlete done something like this? That I, I can't think of any off the top of my head. I've done something this extreme. The only one I can maybe think of, but it, it wasn't for these reasons. It was, it was different. Is Ricky Williams? I mean, you yes. know, Ricky Williams went and lived like a, a a holistic life, and still very much does live a holistic life, but it still wasn't quite the same as this. But that's the only like even kind of remote parallel I could find. And and Ricky Williams, he wasn't, well, he didn't have a serious disease, did he? Correct. No, no, no. It wasn't, uh, I mean, I, I don't know what he was going through mentally and emotionally at that time. Obviously, there was a lot going on in his life. But no, it wasn't like this with muscular dystrophy. But a fascinating story. And I mean, I'll be rooting like crazy for Morgan Hoffman whenever he makes it I back. Mean, and, and you might have touched on this, Colby, but just make sure I'm clear. So did the doctors in the United States recommend him to do this? Or did they just say, hey, you know, we don't know what to do, and he, d- he did this on his own? Uh, no, no, no. They, they said, we don't know what to do, and he started looking into other ways to potentially heal himself. Because basically they told him he was out of luck because of this disease, and he said, I don't accept that. And so it was basically said you're at the end of the line. You don't have anything else to do. And so he did it mention anything about, did he try anything else before this and had any, um, or was this like the, like obviously he didn't say the next day, oh, hey, I'm going to go move to, was it Columbia? Right, no, uh, Costa, Rica. Costa Rica. No, it wasn't that fast because like I said, the grape cleanse and everything happened in Florida. He tried some other things. He and his wife actually went on like a wellness retreat to this area of Costa Rica, and then they decided that they loved it and wanted to just move down there and totally ingratiate themselves in it. Uh, and it makes sense. And so uh, the most important thing from here is that he's starting to get healthier. And, I mean, that is the fact that he went from having a muscular dystrophy, that, that's the right word, yes, and then, yes. um, uh, then being able to even use his medical exemptions that he has on the tour is a straight blessing. Like you mentioned, uh, Colby, driving 90 miles to go play the little local muni that's down there. It's a dump, and no one knows who he is. He's just walking around there with his – one thing that I was really like about the article so far is just the pictures, and I love the hair. You know me, Colby. I'm, I'm a big long hair, don't care kind of guy, so I love this Morgan Hoffman look. Can I get the man bun in some pictures too? I mean, it's hard to beat that look, Colby. Really he's got is. the golden locks. He's, uh, I think in this in this story, he's referred to as effortlessly handsome. I think that's pretty spot on based on what we're seeing here. So. I mean, we might need to get a side-by-side here going, but, I mean, he he looks like our man Sunshine from Remember the Titans. He does look like Sunshine from Remember the Titans. A little You're more, absolutely little more right. curly than, than Sunshine, but uh, still along the same lines. You're absolutely right. So, uh, all right, before we get to break, let's talk about uh, Phil and Brandel. Phil Mickelson, Brandel oh, Chambly, God. because Phil Mickelson came out last week. He called out the tour's obnoxious greed. He talked about media rights being given to players, talked about a lot of stuff. There's rumors that Phil is going to be tied with the Saudis and is going to be a part of that tour and that Super League that they're putting together. So, Brandel Chambly, uh, this was in an 
Okay, yes, this was not on TV. This was on the Golf Channel website. Uh, Chambly went after Phil pretty good. He called Phil a highly paid ventriloquist puppet involved in a sports washing operation for a murderous regime guilty of human rights atrocities. Uh, he went on to say when it comes to competing in professional events, Mickelson doesn't and has never owned his media rights, so there is nothing to hand back. That's in reference to Phil's comments. They should hand back the media rights to the players. He says no sports league, not the NFL, MLB, NBA, the PGA Tour, nor any other league would allow their athletes to own media rights. The profits derived from aggregating those rights fees provides infrastructure, pays league employees, and helps pay the salaries of the athletes themselves. To say nothing of protecting the investments of the networks, could you imagine being a network that had paid hundreds of millions or billions of dollars for broadcast rights only to have to compete with a Tom Brady, Mike Trout, LeBron James, or a Tiger Woods channel where they ran their highlights on a loop? The networks would cease paying the exorbitant broadcast rights fees if such content was omnipresent, which means the leagues themselves in their current form would cease to exist. So, Taylor, we talked about this a little bit last night, but we didn't totally dive into it. So, just give us your overview, your thoughts on Brandel's response to Phil calling out the tour um, and potentially trying to position himself with the Saudis. I think it's when you accumulate everything that you just quoted there, Colby, I think it's one of the dumbest things I've ever read in my entire life. And I'll break it down here one by one here. So I, I, I'm going to get into the Phil getting called a puppet thing. It's one of the most egregious things I've ever heard. But And, and I'm going to say this for about 60 seconds, and I'm never going to mention it again unless someone tries to be an idiot. The, there is a PGA Tour of China. If there is one person who tries to advocate for human rights atrocities that shouldn't happen, for the PJ Tour and saying that, oh, we're just high in glory here. We're the moral human rights activists over here. No, you either say we don't have a PJ Tour China and you need to not play in Saudi. You cannot do one or the other. L- let me ask you this. Does the money, and I don't know the answer to this question. Does the money for PGA Tour China, does that money come from the Chinese government? Because I, I, think, I think that that I, would be a, a key I, I, distinction. I, I, if, I, would, I would say on that end, the PJ Tour China makes money. So then in that aspect, the revenue that comes from that would essentially help China. I, I, but I, I just want to make the distinction for the financial backing. Because the, the idea is that this PGL, or not PGL, whatever they're calling it, I don't even know what they're calling it, this Saudi-backed tour is actually being funded by the Saudi government, which I think... I think is a key distinction. Okay, so so add this up then. So if PJ Tour China is making revenue for the Chinese government, right, that would eventually mean that down the line, revenue that's made in China would be given to the players there. Oh, I'm not defending the PJ Tour China. I'm just trying to I'm just trying to make distinctions on how there may be differences between China and what's happening with the Saudis. There, there's not enough distinctions there to be partnered with one of them and say the other one's atrocity. That's that's my point. Okay, I, I mean, and that's fine. I'm just, but back to Brandel's comments. Okay, so so that's that's my point right there. Anyone who says that you shouldn't go there because of human activists, you need to come out and say the exact same time to get rid of PJ Church China. I will not accept anything really else than that. So here, here's here's something too, Colby. I'm going to talk about this whole puppet thing. Do you know what the difference in the PGA Championship viewer was from 2021 to 2020? Uh, pretty significant. Pretty significant. The the, the in 2021, the viewership peaked at 13 million. And, and for anyone who's listening, doesn't know, 2021's when Phil won at Kiowa. 2020's where Morikawa won at Harding Park. 2021, the viewership topped out at 13 million. The average viewer was like 6.5. In 2020, 
and and I want to point this out too. Twenty twenty had a lot more things going for it. It was on the West Coast in better primetime hour, and it was also the first major in fourteen months. So literally everyone else is going to watch that. The average was five point million, and it topped out at six point nine million. Literally, Phil Mickelson winning the tournament doubled the max viewers. Phil was a huge draw. You cannot call Phil a puppet when he is the needle mover. Colby, do you remember back when uh, Lincoln Riley left OU, Bob Suits went on the podium and said that there is no player bigger than the University of Oklahoma? I do remember that. That was very recent. That is not the same for the PGA Tour. The PGA Tour is built on players. Tiger, Phil are the main needle movers. And there's no doubt about that. And you're looking at now, the next generation, you got your Spieth. Um, if Rory can come back, you got him. you got Hovland, who I think could be a big part of that. Matthew Wolf, these Morikawa, these young guys. But to call Phil, who has made the PGA Tour mil- and I'm, millions, maybe billions of dollars over the years, to call him a puppet is just a straight slap in the face. Okay, I, I, well, I want to get down to the, the rights, the media rights. Yes, and because, so— Because Brandel's correct. As far as I know, there is no sports league in the world, team or individual sports— that the players own the media rights. And I don't see I don't see that part happening anymore. No, time. see, this is I mean, you want to talk about Ultimate Pandora's box, Colby. I mean so and there's so many legal things that get into this. Cause I remember I was reading I was reading this article about what because that's one of the main things that this this argument got brought up with Phil, because he brought up that the players don't own their media rights. And he even mentioned in there and I, it's just hard for me to believe this. Said that he had to pay the tour a million dollars each match that he played. The match. You know, he's played in like four of them. Had to pay the tour a million dollars for that. Why? Why? I mean, I mean, legit question, Colby. Why would he I, have to do that? I have no idea. That, I that, have no idea. That makes no sense. So, I will say this. I don't... If anything, Brandon Chambly, besides the fact that Saudi is against human rights, act, I mean, there's no doubt about that. But going back to the, the media rights thing... Chamblee is right. The players never had their media rights, so you can't hand them back. But I think that there is a way that you could make it to where it's like 50-50, right? Where it's because because my point here is the things that he brings up here, the NFL, MLB, NBA, they are all team sports. They they do the exact thing that the Saudi tour, that they don't want the Saudi tour to do. They give guaranteed money. That that that's literally an apples to oranges conversation. You know, here's some questions, Colby. Do in, do NFL, MLB, or NBA players have to pay for their travel to games? Uh, no, no. Do they have to pay when they stay there? No. Do PJ Tour players have to do that? Yes. I was reading up on this too. A lot of people don't know this. For NFL teams, each player gets one hundred and twenty-two um, per diem. Is that the term? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. One hundred twenty-two dollar a day per diem for if they want to eat out anywhere they want. Do PJ Tour players get that? No. It's, but as far as I know, I, they, they get they essentially get food at the course. Okay, so and, okay. and it's the same for the for NFL. It's where if you don't like what we're serving, you can go eat something else or whatever. And it's just I, I look at this and I say there is such a big difference between the these team leagues and the other than the PJ Tour. And I think the biggest way you could change that, and I'm really surprised it hasn't happened yet. PJ Tour's got to get some sort of union going, players' union. 
I think that's really the only way to sort of mediate this kind of right, right. Between. And it'd be hard for me to say why they haven't, because you know, I mean, you're not on the inside. You're not talking to those guys. I know that uh, we heard a story about Charles Howell was, you know, threatening to sue the tour a long time ago and it ended up not happening. But look, I would be in favor of travel vouchers. PGA Tour gives out to every player who's in the field, paying for their travel, paying for their hotel, uh, giving them a per diem for food and stuff like that whenever they're out there. I would be in favor of more of that media money going back into the players and especially like the weeks of tournaments and stuff like that. But as far as the handing of media rights over to the players, I do think that that would fundamentally change what the tour has, how the tour exists, golf channel, golf coverage. And I I don't know that, I don't think that that would be good for the sport for the players to own the media rights. I do think it would be good for the sport for some more of that money to go back in, not even just to the top guys, because that's what Pip was, right? Pip was just the top guys. What about the guys who, you know, have some PGA Tour starts, but they haven't accrued a lot of career money, and they have to pay for their travel, pay for their hotel, pay for their food, pay for all of that. That stuff I'm definitely on board with. And so, and, you know, getting into this this next point, it will kind of add up, kind of put everything together. So, I'm going to skip skip the middle part for a second, and we'll get back to it. But this part down here where he says, the networks would cease paying the uh, exorbitant uh, broadcast rights fees and such content was omnipresent, which means the league themselves in their current form would cease to exist. So I have a, I have a lot to, to attack on that. Here's one thing I want to say. The PJ Tour just literally last year renewed their, their TV contracts through 2030. So... He says right here, and it's just the wording is messed up <clears throat> because anyone who's ever done any type of business transaction knows when you say cease paying, you don't pay another dime after that. That's what that means. And so it's these networks can't just up and not pay their contracts because they'll get sued. See, I, I think what he's implying there is the next contracts, which you brought up last night, don't renew until 2030. So, yes, that's way off in the L- distance. Literally, Layla is going to be closer to her high school graduation than her birth at that time. <laughs> so it, it's... Yes, the networks wouldn't cease paying the rights fees. They would finish paying whatever they owed or they would renegotiate a contract because we know media contracts, they come, they go. You know, they don't always make it to the end of their lifespan. But in this instance, you would think that the tour would want it to. I do think that was poorly worded from Brandle, but I think the implication was when it's time to get a new contract, if the tour doesn't have the media rights, those contracts will look a lot different. Okay, well, here, well here, here's a question for you, Kobe. Tell me what you think about this. So... The, the 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 terms of the new contract essentially add up to be the tour for the tour the revenue is about 680 million a year so I went through and I added up okay well how many tournaments throughout the year would that count for I didn't count the majors and I don't count world golf championships because they're not technically PJ tour events so I add up in there there's 42 regular PJ tour events so when you do 60 680 million divided by 42 you get roughly a little over 16 million. There is literally one tournament this year on the PGA Tour that has a purse bigger than that. They talk about how much the purse increased last week at uh, at Pebble Beach, eight point seven million, uh, basically fifty five percent of what each week tournament these revenues should go. Where's that money going? Where? I want to know. Uh, I mean, I would assume it's. I would assume a bunch of it, honestly, is going into the pockets of some executives. And again, I'm in favor of that. More of that money going to the players. Just not in the sense of media rights. Because that that kind of just screws up coverage. It screws up Golf Channel. It screws up a lot of things. So, 
moving more money from the pockets of executives to players, especially players on the lower end of the spectrum, like we said, that are fighting for tour cards and their careers and stuff like that, making Monday qualifiers more affordable, stuff like that, making it easier for guys to chase this career, stuff like that, I think, is where the, the tour needs to reinvest. That, that's, just, that's my opinion on how they can use that money to better the tour. It's, it's not necessarily, I mean, yeah, keep the pip around, but those guys have money. Those guys are multi-multi-millionaires, tens of millionaires. Let's make the game more accessible, Monday qualifier, stuff like that, so that we can actually grow the game like everybody says they want to. So that's why I just, like, even if they, if they started paying less each, after the new contracts, and even if they dropped it down less, you know what's going to have to happen? Those executives are going to have to take pay cuts. Yep. That's, that's what will happen. And, and you know what? Yeah, the tour would stop to exist if the executives weren't greedy. If they stayed greedy, the tour would dissolve, and which they already are. And it's like Phil calling him a noxious greed. Yeah, he had to pay a million dollars. If that's true. I mean, I, it's hard for me to believe that. He that is, pay- that's so odd. I, yeah, that's odd. That's an odd detail there. And, and you know, the media rights thing, is the way I look at it, Colby, is, like, obviously the digital age makes it so weird, but... I would say, like, like for example, like Phil can't go off and sell his highlight from the twenty twenty five Masters when he won, you know, like or twenty twenty six, yeah, twenty twenty five Major Masters or twenty twenty four Masters. Sorry, twenty twenty five is when Tiger won. So, like, you can't just go out and sell that because a lot of that is, you know, it's not your camera crew, it's not your person, not your person videoing it. I mean, if you want to send Amy Mickelson out there to film your shots, I mean, you probably could sell that. I would think. Right. Right. But, yeah, that's another wrench in the tire. You know, that we haven't even gotten to, and so I don't, I don't know how the digital rights thing works with with social media and all that. That that's an area along my own. I'm, I just think that uh, to, to call Philip Puppet is a major slap in the face, and this isn't going to be the last that we hear stuff like this. And it's, I think it's just going to get even crazier from here. But I think it's just, it's going to be interesting to see that each little, each week we go forward, I think there's going to be something new kind of come out, or like this, Chambly is going to say something that pisses me off, so we're going to have to talk about it. So right, it, think, it's going to continue to make headlines. Yeah, and and. The biggest question is, like we talk, we've talked about numerous times, when does the final nail in the coffin get done? I mean, there's reports coming out that Lee Westwood had to sign the uh, non-disclosure agreement with, um, you know, with the Saudi tour and all that stuff going on. So, and then you've heard rumors about how much Bryson's making, DJ with the flex on Ian Poulter saying how, you know, well, you weren't offered that much. And he's like, no, I was pretty much said I was offered way more than that. So, got a lot of things to look forward there too, Colby. But, uh, yeah, it's... It's uh, golf is going to be a lot different the next year. I think it is. By by the time February twenty twenty three rolls around, yeah, we'll see what it looks like, and then we'll see if it's sustainable. I mean, PGA Tour has been around forever. Other tours pop up, they leave. Obviously, there's some more money involved, stuff like that. So we'll we'll see what it looks like a year from now. And what it looks like a year from now probably won't be what it looks like five years from now. So uh, we got down quite the rabbit hole there. Let's take a break. Come back on the other side. Waste Management Phoenix Open, DraftKings, One and Dones, Best Bets, all that good stuff. Stay with us here. The 73rd Hole, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. When something the size of a golf ball hits your roof, you need to call McRae Roofing. McRae Roofing is Oklahoma's designer roofing service specialist. For years, Jeff McRae and the experienced team at McRae Roofing and Exteriors have served fellow Oklahomans by helping them with their roofing needs. McRae Roofing uses only top quality materials and professional crews to make sure that each job is done right so it will give you the years of service, security, and protection you need from the unpredictable Oklahoma weather. McRae Roofing offers residential and commercial roofing, ventilation services, and custom copper designs. McRae Roofing is dedicated to exceeding the homeowner's expectations. It's not just a roof, it is your home's crowning glory. Call McRae Roofing today at 405-692-4000. 
That's 405-692-4000. Make sure to also visit their website at mcrayroofing.com. That's M-C-R-A-Y roofing.com. Don't get caught with a leaking roof. Contact McRae Roofing for your free inspection today. Welcome back. Rolling along here on the 73rd hole. Colby Powell, Taylor Williams with you today. Sam Humphreys had uh, scheduling conflicts. Couldn't make it work this morning, so he'll be back with us next week. Glad everybody's with us on this Wednesday. Follow us on Twitter at the 73rd hole. Instagram, 73rd hole. Waste management, Phoenix Open. Taylor going up against the Super Bowl. In a way, we, we kind of talked about this last year. It's kind of golf Super Bowl with the crowds, the, the craziness, uh, all of that, and it's a much bigger, better field than it usually is. And I got to say, I love this tournament. I love the finish on 17 and 18. And I love the fact that it's getting a great field this year because I think it's a great event at a great golf course. And it's always exciting. And it's usually exciting with the strength of field in the 300s. And I we haven't done the strength of field yet. Do you have it pulled up? I, I actually was about to hit it, so we can actually both guess this time. Okay. I, I you want to go first? You want me to go first? Um, I'll go first. I, I think that it's into the 500s. I'm going to say 550. I'm going to say it's a lot of really good players, one and two. I'm going to say 489. Okay. Here we go. 536. 536. Okay. So you're pretty close. Yeah, there, pretty close. We were circling around it. But, I mean, my point is this tournament's been really good with strength of fields 200 points back of this. This is going to be a good tournament. We're going to, we're going to have the cream rise to the crop because this is a ball striker's paradise too. I mean, I'm just going to make one little slide comment. Strength field last week was 186, and now we got 536. Funny, yeah. how, funny how you just get things set right, and you have a really good tournament. So, you know, I'm looking at you got Rom. These are the top players in the world that are playing. Rom, new number three in the world, Hovland, Cantlay, JT, uh, Shoffley, Hideki, Louis, Speed, Sam Burns, Scotty Scheffler. Those are the guys all in the top 15. So. And you look at the guys that have played well here in the past. You've got, like, for example, uh, the, the guys that have gained the most strokes per round. you got Brendan Grace, who's a really good ball striker, 2.82. Louis, 2.83. The only the guy who's gained the most strokes, who's played more than 10 rounds here, is Hideki at 2.55. We all know he's known for his ball strike. Xander always plays well here, gaining uh, 2.35 strokes there. Rom plays well here. So it's uh, definitely, definitely a fun tournament. And I, one of my favorite memories – Maricopa is obviously the the tiger hole or hole in one on sixteen where he raised the roof and everyone's literally just throwing beer cans and water bottles on the tee box and I hope we see something like that this year where I'm trying to think who would, if someone made a hole in one on sixteen who like of all the players in the field who would the crowd get most excited for? Uh, I think Spieth. I, I think Spieth still has the the needle factor. Spieth's a good one. What about uh, HV3? I think that's a good one. HV3, yeah, I think that'd be really popular. I, uh, especially I, if he reacts like he did at um, at Saudi. Yeah, I'll, I'll say this too. I mean, Rom, num- number one player in the world, Arizona State guy. I mean, everybody would lose their minds if it was Rom. Uh, Homa's a very popular guy, and he lives in the area, so maybe maybe Homa would get a big one. But I don't know. I don't think anybody's making him go crazier than Spieth. What about what about our man TG? What if he just like ramps him up, makes a hole in one, and then just all hell breaks loose? <laughs> I mean, if he were like pump up the crowd before he hit it or something, yeah, that'd be pretty sweet. That seems like something he would do. Yeah, that's uh, we honestly we don't see hole in ones there very often. No, we don't. I mean, it's not like because that green doesn't have 
It's not like 16 at Augusta. Like, there's no, like, massive ridge that funnels the ball toward the hole, and then you just have to hope you get lucky and it hits dead center. It's not really ridges in this green that are funneling the ball to the hole. Well, and it's it's a fairly short hole, so it's, you're, you know, you're hitting a 9-iron wedge, 8-iron at most or whatever. So, you know, the ball is just landing and sticking. It's not necessarily rolling up there. You know, it's, it's equivalent to if you, you're trying to throw a ball into a hole, are you going to make it more by tossing it or by rolling it in L- there? Let me ask you this. Would you agree with me if I were to say – 17's the best hole on the course? Because I think 17's the best hole on the course, risk-reward. And, and and because of where it sits, like, there might be a better hole on the front nine, but because of where 17 sits, it, it always, to me, I think, has a huge determining factor in who wins the golf tournament. I would, I would definitely say it has the biggest impact on the tournament. Whenever you're talking about best risk-reward holes, I might say 15's a little better. The Island Par 5. 15's a great hole. The infamous for Ricky Fowler being 230 out and laying up. Yep, 15 is a great it's hole. It's not necessarily an island green because there's a little bit of area short of the green that you can hit it's it. It's like there's a some, peninsula. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. It, it's more like a, kind of like a big island, you know, where yeah. it's, it's like, it's, like you have the green, you have your bunkers, you have a little bit of area. It's not like, saw. it's not like sawgrass where you're going to land the ball on the green and go in the water, unless you just hit like a piss rock at three wood. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that makes sense. I just, 17, I mean, last year, Kepka with the chip in. Um, you know, sometimes we see people left of that pond up there. We saw Ricky go over it with the driver. We saw Ollie Schneider Jans putted in the water there a few years ago because it slopes off so severely in that back corner, and it gets so narrow back there. It's just, it's a great golf hole. I, I think that it's it's interesting because I think 17 is such a great risk risk reward hole, but 18 is pretty lackluster, isn't it? 18 is lackluster if it's a good tee shot. Any good tee shot, and then, I mean, the hole's boring from there. It's a flip wedge into really easy, accessible green. Now, if a tee shot finds its way left off the tee, all of a sudden that's a very interesting golf hole. So it's one of those where it's like the church pew bunkers and the water up the left make it kind of a fascinating hole, but it's all because of the tee shot. That The, the entertainment value of that hole and its, its impact on determining the champion – I think depends solely on that tee shot because once you've got it in the fairway, it turns into an easy hole. Well, one of the things I don't like about it too is that it that hole greatly benefits the longer hitters because they can take it over the, the church pews on the left. They yeah. have a lot more area to clear it. And so if you're a shorter hitter, you got to play it way out right. Then in that aspect, you, if you're trying to hit it in the fairway, it's almost a 30-yard difference just can, from can your longer, angle of attack. Can the longer hitters take it over the church pews or just over the water? Probably can't take it over. You're right. It's not necessarily over the church pews, but I think it's kind of at an angle. You yes, know? So, it is. Yeah. So it's like the you can't you can't clear all of them, obviously, but you can clear the right side of them. No, I, okay, you, I see what you're saying because it does do, the angle dog legs left a little bit, yeah. so you can take the like the bottom right corner off the church pews if you're one of the longer hitters. Let's put it this way: if you snap hook it, you're effed. No matter what, no matter how far yeah. you hit it. Yeah, I agree. I think 15, 16, 17 is a great stretch of golf, though. It it truly, and you know what? We've seen some great stuff on 18 because. Whenever we have. you have a flip wedge in there, it's you're going to see a lot of birdies. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, we saw what Webb did chasing down Fino. It's, you know, there, obviously being in Phoenix makes it the main reason for this, but there's a reason that's the most attended tour event every single year, and it's not just for that. Right. I mean, you know, it, it just keeps growing every single year. If it was a, if it was a dog shit tournament, the field w- or the – as far as the strength, the field would have decreased and the attendance would have decreased too. Yeah. Yeah, I went to physical therapy yesterday. I was talking to my physical therapist. He's headed down on Thursday. 
How about that? Yep, he's headed to his brother's 40th birthday. They're going to go down. So, uh, shout out, Sam, you and your brother. Have a good time. Enjoy Scottsdale. Well, and also, too, shout out to Waste Management for doing all their great recycling. I know, like, they don't have trash cans out there or whatever. They just have the recycling bins or something. Really? Yeah, so I, I, I may be off on that, but they definitely have all kinds of, like, technology or just do kind of yeah. fancy updated stuff to try to be better for the environment. So, yeah, good for them. I, I highly condone that. Yeah, so. that's cool. All right, let's dive into our DraftKings lineups. I'll get us started with my cheapest option. Uh, this is a guy that, again, I, I just don't know how much longer we're going to get these prices on him. I'm sorry, that's my second most expensive. Uh, my, my cheapest... My second least expensive. I'm all turned around. My cheapest option is Brendan Steele. Brendan Steele is just a cut-making machine, good ball striker, good solid finishes at this course. So at 6500 that's way cheap value on Brendan Steele, who's not playing the best golf of his life right now, but I still think is a, a solid option to make the cut at 6500 I mean, in 40 rounds here, Colby's gained 1.6 strokes on the, per round. So, I mean, he's doing pretty good on that aspect. So, Colby, I got two guys here at, at 7200 so I'll just go ahead and read them off here. Um, first one's Charles Allathurt. I mean, he's he's in 48 appearances here. He's gaining 1.09 strokes on the field. Let me get his uh, recent results at this course pulled up real fast. So he's he's actually made uh, both cut. Yeah, he's made both cuts that he's played in this year: Sony Open and American Express, 36 and 25th. And hasn't played here since 2016. But from 20, 2008 to 2016, only missed two cuts in there with a fourth and a sixth. So I really like him. And my next pick, Colby. Talk about someone who were just kind of. You know, will he ever get it back because of the whole putting thing? And he, he was able to get it figured out for a little bit. It was kind of let it slip. slip. That's Keegan Bradley. Going back to 2012 at this course, Colby, he's, he's only missed two cuts, played here every single year. And whenever you look at uh, his strokes gained on the tournament, he's gaining – one second here. He's gaining uh, .68 in 36 rounds. So, really likes this place. Two guys that for 7,200, less than 7,500 value that I think will make the cut. You got to let that ride, baby. Yeah, I like it. I like it. Uh, 7,000. This is the guy I was talking about before. It's Mito. I, I just don't know how long we're getting this price on Mito. It, it seems like he hasn't been able to pair the ball striking week with the putting week. But it seems like eventually he's going to do that. He, he's had some good putting weeks, some good ball striking weeks. Hasn't paired the two. I don't think we get that 7000 price uh, much longer. And then Aaron Wise, 7100 playing well. He switched to a broomstick putting method, which has helped a ton. Uh, he was last year, the year before, he had a four-putt and a five-putt here, and it overshadowed what was a pretty good ball-striking week. So uh, Aaron Wise, I think, has a pretty good week, and 7100 is good value. Allows me to do some things at the top, uh, getting a few cheap guys. Well, you know, let's not forget, Colby, that towards the end of last year, Aaron Wise was on a serious run. I mean, of like top 10, just left and right. So let's see if he can keep that going. Uh, and I will mention Mito let me down last week with a missed cut, but I was still able to catch, so that worked out. Another guy that I didn't end up having in my lineup because Berger withdrew, but I had him initially who ended up missing cut with a let me down. But I'm letting him ride this week. That's our man Matt Kuchar, 7,400. The sketcher's wearing man himself. You've been on Kuchar lately. I, I, I rode him last week. I did a little bit. missed the cut, but finished seventh at the Sony. And at this tournament, Kobe um, has, on, has played, let me get that, I think that's nine times. And has never missed the cut since 2009. Okay. Or I, I love how people say never missed the cut since a certain right. point. You know, it's like I, these are just the metrics I have going back to. So he may have never missed. I'm not sure. This is my next pick, Colby. I think this is the value of the week. I truly do. 7,500 was playing great last week. You talk about long hair, don't care. But he kind of let it slip on Sunday. But that's all right. Finished seventh here last year too. 7,500. Andrew Putnam. I think he's. Yeah. A, I think he's a. If I had to make a bet this week, it, Andrew Putnam top 10 would be my best value bet of the week. I, I like that play. I really do. I think that's a good play. Uh, my next couple, I'm going up to 7,900. This is really just kind of a number situation for me. I mean, Abraham answer at 7,900. 
He, he feels like a good course fit here, and I'm looking at the guys above him. I mean, Connors, Henley, those guys I don't necessarily dislike, but Hoagie, I'm not running out the week after a win. I'm not running out Harris English. I like him more than the comparables in this same price range. I just I think his value is a little off. Seventy nine hundred. I love answer at that price, and that allows me. I've got four players, and I haven't hit the eight thousand mark yet. So that allows me to jump up for my next play, which is ten thousand four hundred. I'm not using him in the one and done because I think he's going to be the highest owned. So I've got to have him somewhere in case he he does win the tournament. That's Hideki Matsuyama at ten thousand four hundred. Back to back winner here in sixteen and seventeen, uh, and we know he's on pretty good form. Two wins in the last few months. Yeah, and like we mentioned, his uh, strokes gain at this tournament. So. It's pretty impressive. So I'm going to go up to – I'm like you, Colby. I'm skipping the 8,000s altogether, so that's probably where all the winner, the top fives will come from. But 9,900, I think Jordan Spieth finishes top five this week again. I think he's just on one of those runs that he gets on where it's like it's, – he's, he's got the putter rolling pretty good for the most part, but his iron play is getting – is really good. I mean, on Saturday he gained like five strokes approach. Sunday he gained like three or something like that. So – Definitely got the ball striking rolling. I think Spieth's about to get on a run, and hopefully he just doesn't fizzle out before Augusta when I plan on picking him. Then my next, my highest pick, 10,700. I wanted to get Rom in here because Rom's always a favorite, and I've used him like the last five uh, times he's played, but he's I, he hadn't won any of those times, so he'll probably win this time. But top 10 machine, Patrick Cantlay. To play terrible on Sunday, but I think he could use that as motivation to get it back. My only qualm is that he's never played here. So, you either have two things happen. Either you don't know how to play it, or you just go out and play fearless, and you birdie every hole. So, hopefully that's going to be the case, but I would be pretty surprised if Cantlay, I'm top 15 at worst, in my opinion. Cantlay's just on such a heater. Like, it just seems like every week, he's so consistent. Like, you just know, Sunday, back nine starts, he's got a chance. Is he going to make some pars, or is he going to make a bunch of birdies? And... I'm, I'm right there with you. He's my most expensive this week at 10700 Uh I could. I've got 400 left over. I could go up to Justin Thomas. I think I like Cantlay better. And I know a lot of people are on JT this week, but Cantlay's just playing such good golf. Uh, I really like Cantlay. Yeah, so. I, I think Cantlay's by far the second favorite in this tournament. I think he's a good good favorite over JT. I could be wrong because JT does like this place. But just Cantlay's just playing so well. It's just, and, and JT is he's a little bit of a wild card. You know, He could come out and he could shoot 59 or he could shoot 75. Yeah, with the way his putter's going yeah, right now. You're right. I mean, the putter is it's has a mind of its own, no doubt about it. So, uh, one and done picks. Um, you can go ahead and get us started. I'm since I'm basically DFL in our pool. Are you? How far uh, down are you? No, nah, I'm 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 almost in the top 100 out okay. of 120 people. So I'm getting there. It's a long season, baby. We, we flip flop from last year. Last year you were West Coast success, and I was started way outside. I'm up to 12th after my speed performance last year. So feeling last pretty good. Year, that's not bad. Last year, last week. <laughs> I, I mean, you might. Did you have Spieth at last year in the winter? Uh, I have no idea. I mean, he only won once, so I'm assuming he didn't have. I, I very seriously doubt it. I mean, I, you mentioned Colby's going to be the highest pick. We we didn't have uh, a different viewpoints on how to do deal with the uh, most used guy in the one and done pool. So I'm running with the decky. I, I said even before he won the Sony Open, I said I was going to pick him here. So the only reason I wouldn't have picked him is if he had won at like the Farmers or something in between right. here. So if you don't win three times in a row, but the fact that he he wasn't able to do that obviously shown such great form. I'm rolling out Hideki. I think he'll be close to picked about as many times as uh, Jason Day was last week, probably about 35, 36. So if if I don't have him and he wins, I'm already DFL anyway, so I'm about to get I would get seriously lapped. So yep. I, I got to try to ride some coattails maybe. Fair enough, fair enough. I see, and we'd, we'd look at it differently. There's no right way. There's no wrong way to look at it. I try to avoid the highest picked guy because I look at that as an opportunity to, to leapfrog a bunch of people. 
Also, I like Hideki at some places later in the year. I really like him at Southern. We'll see if I still feel that way come into May. But I'm going to go with a guy who played really well last week. He's got great course history here. So good form, good course history. The long flight concerns me a little bit. But Bubba Watson has been really good at this golf course. I mean, I'm looking back here, like six top tens in his last uh, – Nine, ten appearances here. Finished 22nd last year, third the year before, fourth the year before. Coming off the solo second in Saudi last week. We know that Harold Varner cashed the 92-footer. That was to overtake Bubba Watson. So I'm I'm going to run out Bubba, hold my breath, and, and hope we're staring at a top five at the end of the week. Uh, the, the long flight is concerning. It truly is. You never it's know. My, what, it's my only concern. And with that, it's just, can you get on the right time schedule? And you know when you when you live, it's it's a little different than when you travel somewhere you don't live and trying to get adjusted there. Besides coming back, I think it's a little bit easier. So, but I mean you're right, Colby. Bubba, 50, 56 rounds here, Colby, getting one point nine strokes average on um, per round. I mean, so he just absolutely loves this place. And I will say this about my man Hideki: it's when you when you're picking a top fifteen player, whatever it is, and it's not an extremely high purse tournament where it's a strong field, you're all, you're always dealing with a little bit of risky business there because if Hideki finishes fifth. Or six. I mean, you get a good amount of money, but not near as much as if he finishes fifth or sixth in a major or a players' championship. So it's definitely risky. I just have a really good feeling about it. And the number one rule of betting, Colby, you always go with your gut. You, you fight yeah. against the gut, the gut's going to fight back. Yeah, that's what I did last week. My gut was telling me Spieth. This week, my gut's Solo telling me second. to fade Hideki. Uh, and, and Hideki very well could win the golf tournament. If he does, I'll be regretting not taking him because you always want to have a guy for a win. But uh, I do think there's some pretty good bets down the board. I mean... Kepka's 30 to 1 here. He's won here twice in four starts. 30 to 1 just seems too long. I know he's not like totally on form, but 30 to 1 on a guy who's won 50% of his career starts here. The odds just seem too long there. So 40 to 1 there. Uh, pardon me, 30 to 1 there. I like Finau at 45 to 1. Again, not totally on form, so I think his number's a little longer than it should be, but he nearly won here, and then Webb lapped him. We saw what happened there, uh, so I think that there's some pretty good odds there as well. If you want to go further down the board, Scottsdale native Max Homa is 75-1, to and then a guy you mentioned, Andrew Putnam, is 85-1. to I will say, though, I prefer an Andrew Putnam top 10 bet over a win Absolutely. bet in a, in a field this strong. But at 90 to 1, if you just want to really throw out a long shot, Siwoo Kim is 90 to 1. And that's a guy who's not afraid to beat the best players in the world, as we saw at the players and we saw when he stared down Cantlay last year at the Amex. So if you want a really long shot, Siwoo at 90, I think, is probably about the longest I'm going. Well, yeah. And then whenever you, you got a ball striker like Siwoo, you could just go out there and make birdies left and right. And going back to Putnam, Colby, I forgot to mention this. Three tournaments this year, 27th, 14th, 6th. So he's only getting better from there. By that math, he should be about third this week. Yeah. Which would be a top five. Wouldn't be a win. I don't think he wins, <laughs> but I do think he finishes top ten. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. All right, good stuff. Everybody oh. enjoy. Yeah, go well, ahead. One go thing ahead. I want to say before we get out of here, I want to shout out my OC Eagles finished second in their first uh, tournament of the year down in Houston. So keep it rolling, boys, and uh, hopefully we'll get first next time. The only Eagles I can get behind, the OC Eagles. Hashtag fly, Eagles fly. Not the Philadelphia Eagles. Not the Philadelphia Eagles. Not at all. So, all right, everybody enjoy the Waste Management Phoenix Open. Enjoy the Super Bowl. We're back next week to break it all down. Thanks, everybody, for listening once again to the 73rd Hole, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. <laughs>